Hello, I'm Stuart Chittenden, and this is Lives, a show about conversation, community, and the people that bring community to life. My guest today is artist Liv Shulman. Raised in Argentina, artist Liv Schulman currently lives and works between Paris and Buenos Aires. Her work has been exhibited and performed widely across Europe and the Americas. Among other honours, grants and residences, Schulman received the prestigious Fondation d'Entreprise Ricard Prize in 2018. Schulman's work revolves around words and language to reflect on the status quo of the current social and political world. Exploring this through filmed fictions, theatrical performances, lectures, and novelistic writing. Shulman is currently exhibiting the solo show, An International Subconscious Awareness of Capitalism, at the A+A Gallery in Venice, Italy, and forthcoming shows include The Government at the Bemis Center for Contemporary Art in Omaha, America, from March 19th to June 13th. Liv Shulman, welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you. I wanted to get a sense of your art, and I'd like to ask you to talk first about the questions, observations, or philosophies you're exploring with your art. Okay, so I'll just try to look at something in particular to focus, and then I'll just go broadly. And what I'm trying to look at is right now, right now is um, about right now and always in general is about like the kind of relationships that can be made out of using language in different uh, environments that can be like object directed or that can be like performance you know based and i am right now i'm looking at the concept of inflation uh, which is um, something i grew up with very strong like an as an economical concept uh, because i grew up in argentina so um what happens there is, is that the way we relate with the dollar defines very much um, a relationship to each other, to other countries, to wealth, to how, you know, how we understand power and how we understand our relationship to um, a more, a bigger ghost, which would be for the Argentinians, the United States. So looking at that ghost, I started, you know, uh, trying to think of the kind of language that we've been using through time, um, looking at that, or living under the notion of inflation and what ideas you know come out from that and what ideas are born from those like um relationships that travel in time that go through generations that you know change with the changes of, of governments as well so that is very social but also it's very intimate so i'm i like to look at how subjectivity is informed by language in in different areas and very often what i like to do is i mean this is like more broadly about what I do with art and is that I try to look at how um what 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 uh what different forms of language or what language does to a body or to a group of bodies and what does it do to identities or to the way we form identities. Are they singular, are they collective? And for example, right now in in terms of what's going on with the inflation, I'm trying to put that in relation to the inflation in the universe, like the inflationary period which is also something that happens after the Big Bang exploded. So we have like one inflation that is like co- cosmic inflation, and then you have economic inflation, and then you have like all the relationships that can be done in between. So I try to activate that out um, as a form of like plural storytelling or something. 
So I would say that what's interesting for me in art is language. So, yeah, uh, or theory about language. Tell me then, with an interest in language and how it shapes our sense of identity and how we relate to each other and perhaps how we shape the sense of the world around us, what are the mediums and the forms and the structures that you choose to use to explore that art? Right. A very good one is writing. And the other one, the other very good one could be voice or like the way, you know, using voice in a body, in a group of bodies and uh, acting, playing with characters, making characters circulate across a group of bodies. I'm always interested in seeing how a character can be performed collectively and not, not only with this piece, but everything I've been doing before, you know, we have like this like psychotic state of mind that can be very shared very often and I like to look at how a group behaves as a single voice and vice versa as how many voices can enter a person so I think like um, that sometimes uh, voice just voice is a great tool even more than like so I have the writing and the writing is a stream of ideas and you have like all that floating. But also you have like the idea that something can be re-articulated when you direct a person, when you direct an actor towards um, articulating an idea that can be really dumb and unless you say it in a way that it's even dumber. So that, you know, that creates like a form of mirror or a shock or something. Um, art is fiction, so I don't, you know, I'm not obliged to tell the truth i'm not obliged to to be scientifical or but i'm kind of obliged to try to be critical in a way so that that's that's what i find interesting it seems interesting to me that your art and how you create it and share it is very much an embodied form of expression and interaction right well, I am unsure about if it's interactive to the public because the audience can come and see performance or they can come and see video, but I'm, I'm unsure if they can participate in my act, in my art. I, you know, I think I try to engage, but, uh, it's not an interactive, interactive thing. Like, it's not that people are touching buttons and making things react, although I would like to, but <laughs> that's, yeah. <laughs> And yet, it's still very mobile. It, yeah, no, it is very mobile. <laughs> uh, and, and so you have um, performers acting uh, to a script. And I, I do want to explore how um, maybe that shifts. No, that well. you're completely right. That does shift. And also um, video also shifts. Like uh, many, many of the things I do in the beginning started with being just writing or just something that you can have in a USB stick. Because I moved so much. So I was like, I didn't, I was a bit homeless or I didn't have a specific place where I was living. And that wasn't like a great um, thing. But at the same time, it allowed me to put things like in a suitcase and move them around. So it wasn't so complicated to, you know, to perform it once you're in, in place. And what's interesting for me is that things are not um, autonomous. Like I really don't. I really don't like art that pretends to be autonomous or like independent. I like when things, you know, get adapted to a place because uh, that's when the thing kind of migrates and enters um, another space that it's not the thing itself, natural habitat or something. So, yeah, it's true that performance has to be tailored for a place. And then when we when we move a script or something that has been 
pre-written to a new place, it has to be rewritten again with new additions in order to make it work. Yeah, I like that idea of its adaptability. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder how much of that is contextual, as you say, because of the place. I also wonder how much of that is because you're using different actors. Also. Um, how much it is because you are no longer the same person that you were a year ago or six months ago or yesterday. That part, I guess, happens to yeah to all of us. I mean, if you're going to carry something and you're moving with, I mean, life is happening to you and so it's happening to your job so i guess you yeah you bring it on with you and you're right but the the fact that every time uh new actors are involving things or that you know uh things are responding to a script yeah it changes it does shift the it does shift the the work a lot Ooh, i see you walking like that yeah you know you look good and i bet you just came out here to dance well let me oblige you Boys don't know nothing about this We were made with this way in our hips You and me, we can make them all wish They had the courage to ask you I know that it's not just me Come on, go what you think Toma mi mano, vamos a bailar I want to step back a little bit because I want to give a somewhat reductive base mm. question. We've mentioned static art, traditional art, visual art, such as you know, paintings or what people might think of as performative art in the sense of cinema or opera or something like that. And so I think for many people, they, they won't quite understand why we're referring to this social practice as art. And I wonder if you maybe have a, a thought about that. Well, um, I have given it a thought, but <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let me let me say something. First of all, the word performance is uh, very specific and also very broad in English, but and it's an English word. But um, I grew up speaking Spanish, and then I learned in French. So performance was still called performance. And for us, performance refers to performance art, and it refers to a very specific things, thing that started happening in at the beginning in art school and then, you know, in, in, in life. But it's um, the kind of art within, like, the contemporary art realm in which um, something is a live action. And it's not necessarily theater or or cinema or or what, live performance, so a concert or. So for me, uh, coming from from that specific point of view, for me it was it looked more or less natural to say it's a performance, and then it would absolutely engage like the performance art part of it. And I'm I'm quoting with my fingers, and nobody sees it, but I'm <laughs> I'm doing that. But um. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't know how to, how to refer that as art unless I'm saying it's art. And for me, that's pretty much enough. Like, that, that's enough for me. Like, because, uh, when something you want to call it art, then it becomes so. It's more of, of a speech act. 
thing like if you name it then it happens um that that's how i learned it i don't know i don't know what else to say about that and <laughs> that, that's pretty much what i know like uh, but how how to name the difference between that and something else? I, I wouldn't know, and I'm I'm not exactly sure that it's in me to make the difference. Like I I don't care if it switches um, a domain, like it's fine. But yeah, I mean, originally it comes from video art and performance art. I'm not fully aware of your body of work. I guess I didn't mean for the pun around the phrase body of work, <laughs> but but I'm still thinking about how you put your body on the line. I do put my body on the line. <laughs> and, and there are moments in specific creations that you have conceived and presented where you are speaking or reading or performing in some way with others, but you're doing so with your body in sort of contorted, awkward, uncomfortable positions. I'm wondering again, the degree to which it's important to place the body in specific uh, in specific ways to create this sense of what you're trying to uh, you know communicate. Right. Very often I put on, I put my body on stage. Very often I put other bodies on stage, and they all follow the same rules of distortion or like being folded to uncomfortable situations of speech. And I guess I'm trying to say something about how misrepresentative language can be and about how misleading or how uh, foolish it can be, but also how how, how free you know it, it can get you. So at the same time, um, the idea of using like a, a discomfort a position, um, I, I try to to... Yeah, I try to do something slightly funny or slightly humiliating to myself because I think it will be it will put me more exposed, and that that form of exposure is more interesting for um, for some form of message. I I do that with everybody, like I do it with me, and I do it with all the actors that play in my work. It's very important to expose yourself, so then you can get a feeling of something is going on, and yeah, so that that's about it, I think. For many artists, they will create something and then they will step away. They will recede from the artistic expression, mm -hmm. whatever it is. And mm -hmm. I keep using something like a painting, because I think it's really easy for people to conjure that image in their head. So you have an object, you put it out, and then you look at it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And at that point, you know, the artist becomes something that's behind or to one side in one's thinking about it. But that is very much not the case with a lot of your artwork. Right. Totally. And I, I think it's important that things happen live, that things are happening to me or to somebody else when, when they are, when they are happening. Because of the social dimension of it, it's so important that, you know, it, you see it happening or that you feel, you feel it through your body. But at the same time, there is an element of fiction in it, which may, which enables me to take a step backwards. I'm not the kind of performer who's gonna like, if I were cutting myself or doing something really extreme, I would be in the midst of pain. You know, I would be like living through it and going through it, etc. And I am going through that, but with language, like the moment is alive and when it's happening, it is actually happening. But at the same time, it kind of allows me to play it as if I was a character. So I can, um, I can see myself as an object or what I'm doing as, a, as, as an object. So I try to, you know, step aside and try to look at it from 
far away at the same time that I'm in. I don't know if it makes any sense. I mean, that, that's why we record it. And then I look at it and then I'm like, okay. So. Has it ever gone horribly wrong? <laughs> yes. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> once I did an awful performance once because I don't speak Portuguese. It's the story of a guy that put out, you know, like this um, self-help method and that I created, you know, it's a character. And I had to do the whole performance in Portuguese because I was in Brazil and that really didn't work out. Like people started leaving and the performance was like half an hour long. That was a very bad idea. I learned <laughs> that I should practice more <laughs> that time. That, that, that went horribly wrong. Yes, it did. <laughs> I want to ask you what is happening with the Bemis. So the intention is to to do a performance in three episodes uh, called The New Inflation. And this performance involves local actors. So we have a group of six actors. Some are amateurs, some are less amateur. It happens uh, twice in March, twice in May, and twice in June, like in two days. And it's a, it's a, at each episode is about one hour long and um, it's a group of characters that go across different uh, situations that mix language and performing and the idea is to talk or about inflation that's the way i was describing earlier before about like the the economical concept but also the cosmic concept so uh, doing like having that in mind i you know and going across time like um, across for example the different successive and still ongoing conquest of the Americas, for example. I try to, to you know, to talk about things, to talk about um, economies, to talk about the relationship between, you know, the United States and the rest of uh, Latin America and different things that are important for me and that I guess are important for other people. I hope so. Yeah, and it's going to happen uh, soon, so... I don't want to spoil it, but it's, um, it, yeah, it, it goes across different uh, situations that can be, um, crossing border costumes office related or, or things like that. So the idea is to shoot it live and the audience will be inside the space. It's in, it's, in, it's going to happen in the presentation room in, at Bimis and the performance and the performers and the audience will be mixed. 
together so they can be all together in the same room and they'll be moving around. It's an immersive performance so they don't have to be sitting outside or like there is no stage. There's no separation between the stage and the audience. Is that frightening for the actors and is that frightening for the audience? For the audience, I don't know. I think <laughs> for some, yes, for some, maybe not. <laughs> Maybe some people feel engaged in it, maybe, I don't know. And for the actors, definitely, it is frightening. But at the same time, I guess it's it's a situation in which you can easily be mistaken by the audience, so maybe you can be just like a piece of audience, or if you don't know what to do, you can be just an object, you know, or you can, you know. So it will be scripted, and they know what to do. But it's very common that in performance art, there is no stage. So you... In, in this form of performance, like there is no stage, so you don't go to the stage, there is no separation, no fourth wall, no, yeah, no division between what's going on in real life and the audience. So I hope that's the case in here too. I want to ask you to tell me about your upbringing. Okay. I was born in Paris. Uh, my parents are Argentinian. They were on exile because of the dictatorship in Argentina. So then when I was born, the dictatorship was over and we immediately came back. So it was over like for one year or two, um, democracy was already getting there. So then when we came back to Argentina, I grew up as an Argentinian. And what happened was that, uh, is, okay, so democracy was back, but also a lot of neoliberalism was back. I mean, it was, was uh, during my upbringing. I grew up as um, I have one sister. Then I had another sister. So my sister was born when I was five. And during the nineties, uh, something that marked my life very deeply was that we didn't have dollars, but that our currency was worth one dollar. Like one peso was worth one dollar. So that was um, that was very important for me. <laughs> so and for everybody else, I think in the nineties. So that that was something that that um, that happened. And that created the idea that that we were living in a country that was not exactly Argentina, but something that was maybe like America, somehow. Since it was not, that provoked a crash in 2001 that was an economic crash that was very, very strong. So that really shifted the economy. After that crash, my family moved to, my mother moved to Israel with my sister. And I moved to Israel with them. I lived there for one year. And since I didn't like it very much, I moved to Paris, where I studied. So I had a passport. So that was a big gift my parents gave me. That was very important. I mean, that was very strong. That really changed my life. So I want to, you know, underline it because uh, it's not easy. The emphasis was more on the political and the economic aspects of what you encountered as you grew up. Right. Less so art and i'm wondering where your idea that you were an artist emerged from no i'm sorry i should have said that art was very important as well we were to, um, I, I had a lot of art classes um when when i was 12 i went to high school because you go to high school when you're 12 and i went to um, a state art school because i wanted to paint and i draw a lot so i wrote and i draw a lot my parents are very creative. Oh, my mother, she does a lot of stories. She's extremely creative. So I, I guess that's where I, I got it from. She likes to do a lot of storytelling. So, you know, 
that was very important for me. And then I, thanks to that, I got the, yeah, I got into studying art. And, and, and then when I was done by the age of 18, I, I kept studying art. It didn't come to my mind to do something else. I don't know why. Yeah, I thought I was going to do that. And that was the only idea I had for me. And so that didn't change. Did you sort of just, as it were, evolve into it? Or did you have a moment? When you realize, oh, like a call, I, like a yeah. man's call, mm-hmm. um, no, <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, I just, I just thought I was gonna be a painter when I was a child, and then I kept, you know, trying to be an artist, and then I was an artist, and no, I didn't have a, like a call, but I, it's just that I, I wouldn't know what else to do if I wasn't doing this, <laughs> so I don't have any other ideas. I. I wish, yeah. I think you could be an economist. I thought about it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I, I, I always wanted to be an economist. It's such a clever thing. <laughs> like, I, I wish, you know, I wish I did something like that, but I'm, I'm very bad at chemistry. I'm very bad at um, maths. And, you know, art is a way of, of doing whatever you, you want, even of doing economies or even of playing tennis or whatever you want to do. I mean, it can enter art. I mean, art is like, like the, the multi-channel, um, yeah, and TV screen kind of like it's, it's something that you can do whatever you want when you're doing art. That's the, the good thing about art. The bad thing is that you don't do anything like, like really, really good. You're just, you know, you can do just everything you want. Maybe not everything perfect because it takes years. Like you can, you know, you can play astronomy if you want as an artist, but you don't get to be a real astronomer neither. That's the bad part. I don't know. I feel like you're selling yourself short a little bit. Uh, I you think, think so? you, yeah, I think so. Um, I don't know many economists. I mean, we can think of some economists. We can think of you know, Milton Keynes or whoever. Mm-hmm. We can think of astronomers like Galileo that, that mm-hmm. have actually wrought notable social change right. over time, historically. Um, but I also think there are many, many artists who have done the same. They yeah. have created change. Yeah, absolutely. You are listening to Lives. We'll be back after the break. I'm Stuart Chittenden, and this is Lives. My guest today is artist Liv Shulman. What do you aspire to with your art? It sounds very ridiculous to say it like this, but to create a little bit of critical change. 
<laughs> I, I hope it modifies somebody's life. Sometimes I think that I try to work with people so that their lives can get modified, so that it impacts on somebody, at least. I would imagine that's true for both your performers and also for the people that encounter your artwork. Do, do you ever get feedback from either of those two groups? Yes, of course. Um, yeah, I, I do. Hopefully. I mean, I'm, I'm really happy to get some because uh, I did. Well, it's always interesting. Yeah, I, I get a lot of feedback from the performance I work with because it's, it's, a, it's a process that goes through time with them. So it's, it's modifying their lives. It's implicating their time and their voice, their intellectual capacities, their material, their ideas. So it's super important. So we do it together, kind of. So yes, we do get a lot of feedback like to each other, no? And from the audience as well. I mean, sometimes, yeah, sometimes no, but <laughs> hopefully it, ha- it does happen, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I hope it's engaging. I don't know. So you speak Spanish, French, English. Am I missing a Portuguese? Um, no, I in do not way. speak Portuguese. That was really clear. <laughs> I can say little things enough like, to uh, offend people. Enough to offend people. That's okay, what I good. can do. <laughs> uh, so I can speak Hebrew as well. And Hebrew. Yeah, I do. So at least four languages. Right. As I've shared in your bio, you have lived and worked in a multiplicity of places. And you've shown your work in very many places around the world, too. True. So I think it's fair to call you culturally cosmopolitan. Okay. Fair I think enough. that's fair. Fair enough. So I'm wondering how that has affected you and how that has affected your work. It has affected me so much. Um, and it has affected my work so much. I mean, I think all my work is like informed by that. It's completely shaped by the fact that I moved so much that I was that I migrated so much like I was born and migrated and then migrated again and then you know family migration like all that it's, it's extremely strong like I I would say it's the thing that defines me you know or yeah or my my life or me in a very it's completely structural so it does it does affect a lot of what I think or what I do I've learned that nothing is Universal, nothing has to be universal, but that's hopeful. What else? I don't know what else I mean, I, th- I think it just, it just, sh- it, it has really shaped the, the way I think of everything I do. So it has to be adapt, like the adaptability of things. Translation, translation is a big, huge part of my work. And it's a huge part of what the characters are telling to each other very often. Like, you know, misconception, misunderstanding, translation, uh, shifting things, uh, putting one th- things in, in the place of other things. So that's very common. And that's something I'm really interested in. I'm curious about that. In part, maybe this is a reflection on, on my own sense of being moored or unmoored. Sure. Um, I'm wondering if you feel you're able to draw thematic consistencies and inconsistencies between the fact that we're all we're all human beings on this one planet right and yet at the same time i know that there's disconnection in the world i also wonder how disconnected maybe you sometimes feel because you're so often in so many different cultural contexts how disconnected do i feel pretty much um i try not to um i started teaching this year and that made me feel a little, a little bit less disconnected. Like I, I interfere in somebody's 
growing up life or something. So that's that's um, that's important. Sometimes more disconnected, sometimes less disconnected. I mean, it, I try to to make as many connections as I can, but I think that this disconnection kind of informs a, a a way of thinking about translation that is that can be fun or that can be interesting. Like how how this uh, this connection that is like structural, or more or less uh, there all the time and can be you know inversant or less or more or you know you you don't know how how it's gonna be. Um, it it can be translated into translation. So when you get into that, then it's a constant back and forth of seeing if what you are saying makes an effect or of what people are saying makes an effect or like people or things or animals or humans or whatever. But it's not, uh, I really like this idea of equivalences in which one thing can be put in the place of another thing, of another thing, of another thing. And some, you know, and in those like series of translations or of uh, substitutions, signifiers get slid in and change. So I, I want to give an example of where this can be additive and positive and maybe um, detractive and maybe negative. Because I'm sure I looked at your website and you had a piece of work where you won a prize and it was an amount of money. Right. And then, I got it all together physically. Okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, it didn't last long, it doesn't seem. It, it did not. So um, this idea of translation uh-huh. – and I think the general premise was you took the money and then you converted it to another currency, oh, that to is. another currency, yeah. and to another currency, and then you kept doing this 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 uh, conversion of the money until eventually it just all got eaten up and just disappeared, dissipated. Right. Right. Um, uh, would you just share that briefly? Yeah, it's called the disappearance, and um, it, <laughs> it's about making uh, money. Disappear. No, it's because I, I won a prize. I won one thousand dollars. I don't know, 2006? No, wait, 2013, sorry. <laughs> was kind of a lot of money. And at the same time, no. So the idea was to, you know, take a round quantity of money for its own quantity and go to the border of um, Brazil, Paraguay, and Argentina. That is a very, like, it's a place full of fusions and translations because they all speak, like, people speak, um, more at least six languages there and they do it across the border back and forth and they you know they mix and they take all currencies and they exchange all currencies and you know names and currencies and people and whatever and borders get crossed all the time and and as it was um it's a very interesting place because of the smuggling as well there is a lot of like copies of whatever exists in the world can be copied and you know so I, I really like this idea of circulating a quantity and making it shift and until, you know, it gets eroded or like struck or like, you know, so touched that it disappears. You know, uh, disappearing in Argentina has a very special connotation because um, people used to disappear during um, the dictatorship. They're called the disappeared, people that had been um, disappeared and murdered by the military government. But that's one part of the polysemic title. But, you know, but also after all this uh, neoliberal aesthetics that we had, um, money also tends to disappear because of inflation. So inflation erodes money and then it has no value. I'm not making a comparison here. I'm just telling that, you know, it's, it's a very strong word. So, um, the idea there happened that 
while changing the money, um, something a person changes. So by crossing all these borders again and again and again and mixing the language, the money, the the flavors, the smells of food, everything, and then and then the the person that is doing that, that is myself as a character, starts kind of losing her ability for you know making sense or like making I don't know. Normal sense, I guess. So, like the, the speech becomes loose or very ridiculous, sometimes a bit psychotic. I don't know. It's um, so there, there's a general loss of yeah of reason, I guess. Yeah, at the end, the money disappears, and then the money disappears because it's it's eroded by itself by its own commissions while changing. And then at the end, um, we didn't have any money, and we had to come back. We had the ticket back. But um, the plane didn't didn't leave that night because of the weather, so it just left two days later, and it was like a situation in which you don't have any money and you don't have any way to stay in a place, and we couldn't pay the hotel. It was very so. There was just an anecdote that happened after that, and that I didn't include in the movie. I don't know why, because I didn't have my way to tell it. It was unexpected. got the sense from what you were saying earlier that you're now teaching and uh, there almost seemed to be this look of chagrin on your face that you were now mature <laughs> <laughs> having to having to help uh, people younger sort of flourish um yeah um okay <laughs> that's um not what i meant i don't feel so mature i just feel that i'm I'm kind of happy to participate in somebody's creative process as well no, because it's not just like me and my process and then I, I get to, I, I try to share that with performance, with actors, you know, but also in this part about, it was about the connection and it's kind of like starting to participate in places, uh, activity. So it's like, it's a city and the city has an art school, the art, the art school produces subjectivity, it's collective. I try to take part of that to shape it and. That doesn't make me more mature, on the contrary, but it makes me... <laughs> How have you changed in, mm. in the process of exploring your artwork? I don't know. I learned too many things. But, um, wow, that's a very big question. I try to be brave enough to face writing every day, more or less. I mean, as much as possible. So that's very complicated for me. I think it's complicated for everybody, but especially, and I, and I like it, but, um, I try to, sh yeah, I think that's what changed. So I try to be open to, um, 
many things that I will not understand that I don't. Same with the students, so I don't understand at all what's going on. But it's uh, it's very strong that um, that it, it's hard to try to transfer something, and and uh, I also learned that there is always at least two points of view in a situation, but mostly many, and they are also many points of view in a, inside the same person. Something I had no idea when I was studying art, for example, is that my teachers could have feelings or or go through. <laughs> You know, the same anxiety that I could have or be in need of approval, which I am. Uh, so that was, yeah, that's something I have learned. Do you ever look back on your life and just think what might have been different? Or do you ever look back on your life and think, I wish I had done something else, made right. a different choice at a certain point in time? I'm always improvising, so I never know what should I have done, but... I understand that it was a good decision to... So after art school in France, I moved to London for one year, and then I, I went back to Argentina. And during that period in Argentina, I learned a lot. Like during four or five years in Argentina, I learned, I learned a lot. I worked a lot, and I learned. But I always think that it was a good thing to to leave Argentina four years ago uh, for the sake of doing more art, which was... Um, which was a hard decision to make because it was so extreme. It just I was gonna just like leave again and then you know don't I, I I didn't I started touring from one residency to another one during two years, so that was kind of hard because it's hard to be to not have a place or to be like uh, but at the, you know like <laughs> self commiserating. But at the same time, I I felt that it was a good thing because it it gave me more freedom to look at art itself. So. To, to be more devoted to it or something. So, yeah, that, that was a good thing. And then looking back, I have no idea what should have I done differently. I should have gone to to Brazil. That's something I should have done. My last question for you is, I mean, it might be hard to answer, but um, it's simply stated as, when do you feel most alive? Okay. It's really narcissistic, so I don't know, but... I feel very alive when I see somebody uh, playing a text that I've written and like trying it out. Like for me, it's very strong. I, I really enjoy doing like looking that, at that and seeing what happens to to language, to a voice if somebody enacts it that is not me. So I would say that. I sort of want a paragraph from you that I can enact at some point. I don't know what that would be. I would be, love that. Yeah, you should do that. No, I'm totally curious about what you wanna, that would you be. You want to try it? Okay. But not nothing too big. Maybe a paragraph. Par yeah. We'll okay. See. We'll or, see. We'll or a sentence. That. A word. Could even be a word. Just a word? I don't know. It's up to you. You're the, you're the, <laughs> you're the puppet master. I will just attach the strings to my shoulders and, and dance according to the rhythm that you've written. Yeah, many actors want that. I, I used to think it was kind of like horrible, but now I think it's wonderful. I wish I had like that capacity. Like everybody wants to be instrumentalized at a certain point. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's easier to be told what to do than actually have to think for yourself, but sometimes. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So what about if you say, can we try it right now? Sure. It's okay. I'm going to edit it out. Yeah, you are? No, I'm kidding. Uh -oh. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Okay, so what if you say, um, uh, last night I dreamt I was um, a puppet of destiny? Last night I dreamt I was a puppet of destiny. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>
My guest today has been artist Liv Shulman. Liv, thank you for being on the show. Okay, thank you for having me. What else should I say? Mm, I'm thinking. That's the end of this week's show. Our sound engineers are Mark McGaw and Dalimar McTizik. I'm your host and producer, Stuart Chittenden. Live's radio show is an executive production of Squish Talks. Find links to podcasts of this and previous shows via our Instagram and Facebook profiles at Live's Radio Show. Join me next week for more conversation, community, and the people that bring community to life. <laughs>